Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Craig Doyle and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. The spotlight was on Ireland for our second Six Nations special featuring a visit to the studio by Ulster winger Tommy Bowe. He joined Ben Kay and Austin Healy for analysis of all the action from the opening weekend of the Six Nations and round 11 of the Aviva Premiership. Tommy, uh, good to have you here. Thanks for coming great, along. Thank you. Thank you. Delighted to be here on Irish night. Plenty of fellow Irish here too. It's great. I know you'd obviously rather be in Ireland camp at the moment. Uh, awful injury during the World Cup. Um, describe what happened to you and what, what are you at at the moment? How's it going? Uh, yeah, I had, um, I had a tackle during the, the last game of the World Cup against Argentina. I ripped the PCL uh, ligament off the bone in my knee. Pretty... Not, not too nice at the time, but had surgery on it, had a brace, leg brace on for 10 weeks, but I'm six weeks out of it now, back, almost back onto the pitch again, and hopefully be back in the next couple of months. This guy here thought PCI was a courier company, yet he's still wincing at the thought of having ripped off the bone. Um, it wasn't nice, it wasn't, it wasn't nice. No, I'm sure, and uh, you know, a real blow for you as well, because uh, obviously, you know, having to take so much time off, and I'd imagine get rid of the memories of, of the World Cup, certainly that Argentina game. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, it still the, hangs heavy, does it? It does. I mean, the Argentina one will, will stick in my mind for a long time. I, you know, whenever you're a rugby player, you can generally put a bad performance behind you very quickly because you play the very next week. Uh, unfortunately, the last game I played was that Argentina game. Now, the weeks before that, we had you know, a tremendous win against France in one of the, probably one of the best atmospheres I've ever played in front of in the Millennium Stadium. But again, that Argentina one just uh, it still lingers there. And, uh, but I, I hope to be back to play you know, some part of, of Ulster season and potentially Ireland's uh, summer tour all going well. That's, that's my aim anyway. Let's reflect on the World Cup up to the point of the Argentina loss because the mm. win against France was a massive moment. Wasn't Incredible, it? yeah. I mean, I suppose it was almost a problem in a sense in that the whole build-up was all about that French match. Uh, I, I don't think that we got complacent, but I think that you know to suffer some of the losses, some of the injuries that we did, with notable obviously to Paulo Connell, Pedro Mahoney, uh, to, to lose Sean O'Brien through suspension, you know uh, that really hurt us as a team. Uh, but but that day, the result for us in front of you know, it, it seemed like there was 80,000 Irish people all packed into the Millennium Stadium, the roof closed. It is a tremendous stadium, and when it's full of green, uh, it was it is definitely a standout moment. I, I was in that stadium, and I've never experienced an atmosphere like it in any sport. It was just phenomenal, and actually, a lot of the people coming out were saying, how do Ireland raise again mm. after that? How do they match that? And obviously, Argentina coming in, their first taste of, of that atmosphere with their passionate fans, so yeah, it was a tough, tough to try and back it up the following week. It was tough, and I think... 
I don't know, maybe, maybe there was a few beers on board because that was a, a later kickoff. The following week was against Argentina, but it was a little bit earlier. And, and I, the so you're talking about the players, are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that was the problem, actually. We're letting out a few secrets here, team secrets. No, uh, the, the, I think someone enjoyed that one over there. Uh, no, I think that uh, you know, the early kickoff, the, the atmosphere maybe wasn't the same. There was, a, there was actually a huge Argentinian contingent in the crowd that day as well. And it just, listen, it was just a bad day from, from start to worse. I mean, I, I got injured after 12 minutes and had to watch the rest of the game in the, in the medical room with an ice pack strapped to my knee. So it was uh, a memory I like to forget about. Uh, look, there's so much to talk about tonight. Really good to have you here. But uh, let's reflect on the opening weekend of the Six Nations. I think we were all quite excited when Bastereau wasn't selected, when, when Spedding wasn't selected at 15, because we, we didn't want the big bulky guys. You want to see France playing a bit of rugby again, a bit of UAG. Uh, absolutely. And, and you know, I spent a bit of time with some of the recently retired French players at the World Cup, and they were all saying the same thing, that we're trying to play a style of rugby that doesn't suit us, and we're not quite as good at the teams that it does suit, you know, the South Africans. We're, so we're never going to rise up the ranks. And what I, what I like is actually they've got some players in there uh, in Nakatawa, and, and particular Dante. Dante's a guy I really rate. Um, we saw him for Stade Francais against Leicester just tearing up, playing a bit like Manu Tuolangi, but using his hands out of the contact. And I think that's the player they wanted Bastereau to be. They finally got him in, but it is going to take a while with a new coach. Whether he's the right person, Guinoves, it... You know, there's a lot of people in France saying that he might not be, and he's quite old and set in his ways, but you've got to give them time to at least bed in and see. Let's go with the age thing, actually, Oz, because his Why messaging is... for an age thing? Because <laughs> <laughs> you're old. Um, but, but his messaging is kind of odd. He said, I have a load of guys in their mid-20s who played like they're in their mid-30s. <laughs> What's he on about there? I think he's just on about the style and how they played, and you think about... You know, you want this French flair, but it doesn't just happen. You can't just turn up and say, right, I'm going to run it from under the post like Serge Blanco did after having five fags before the game. It, it doesn't work like that. Uh, I think the good thing for me, for France, was that Plisson really stepped up. And that's where France have really struggled at 10. They haven't had someone, a general, who'll take control of the whole side and run it when he wants to and kick it and move the forwards around. That's where they've really liked. Now they've got him, and he looked very, very steady, very composed at the weekend. I think they'll move forward, and they'll move forward pretty quickly. On Italy, Tommy, it's good to see guys coming through. It looks like they may have discovered a 10. They've been trying to replace Dominguez for so many years. But still, the game revolves around Sergio Parise. And, and that last drop goal was, <laughs> was a, a really tough moment for him, wasn't it? But it was a tough moment for him. It was one of those, I mean, Austin was saying that's what happens with bloody forwards. think they're doing the backs jobs. But listen, Sergio Parise for years has been the talisman of, of Italy. He's been the, the go-to man for everything. He scored a super try, drive them all. He does everything for that, for that team and sometimes maybe tries to do too much, sometimes tries to force it and, and when you see your number eight back in that position, yes, according to the Italian players, he does practice them, but uh, so does Rory Best all the time and I think if Rory Best <laughs> stepped back to kick one of those for Ireland, they'd be, they'd be hell to pay. So, listen, I suppose whenever it was Haimona was on the 10, uh, whether there's a trust in him to kick a drop goal, I don't know, but uh, I, I'd say he's going to be pretty disappointed with that because they, they had a genuine chance to, to win that game. Yeah, he said he was in the pocket, Oz, but no one else seemed to realise he was in the pocket for the drop goal. They didn't look set yeah. for it, did they? Well, strangely, before Canna dropped a goal in the first minute, he was the last guy to drop a goal for Italy. You've got guys, he, he's called it, he's back there, these guys aren't aware that he's going to give it a go, but I remember Keith Wood trying a few, and maybe he got one or two, but they had Palazzini on the field as well. He's a 10 who can drop goals from anywhere. And 
you want to give it to someone who's in a position and it's been worked into that position. You almost sense that his persona demanded the ball and then he thought, right, I'm, I can be the star, but That's he ended it. up as a villain. Are the four of them there, the scrum half picked him out, so I mean... I, I think they knew. I, th I think the guys in front knew it was coming because they didn't react, they didn't sort of turn around and go with surprise, they didn't think the ball was coming out. I think they knew, I think he'd called it. Um, whoever the new coach of Italy is, be it Conor O'Shea, be it whoever, they're going to have to try and instill that confidence across the 23 of a, of a match day squad, aren't they? He can't just be taking on all that responsibility and he's not going to be there forever. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think I read that it's 80-somethings lost for, for Italy and it must be so hard for, for himself, for the other players to, to week in, week week out. I mean, and they get so close, you know, they get the odd couple of wins in the Six Nations, but it's very difficult. So the new coach is going to have his work cut out, but... I think they're not far away. It is about instilling. They've got the passion. They've got they've got the players there. But it's just to get them playing together and, and get a couple more wins. And I, listen, I think if for the last couple of years they've been there thereabouts, uh, and I think that they are potentially ready to make the step up. Um, I think it's fair to say people back in Ireland were very nervous about the Ireland Wales encounter. They didn't really see Ireland getting much out of it. So a draw is not the worst case scenario at all, really, is it? Not the, not the worst case scenario. I think there was a huge amount of negativity going into the game, certainly from the press, the media. Uh, you know, we are missing uh, quite a few players through injury. We've obviously lost the likes of Brian Driscoll in the last two years with uh, Paul O'Connell. Um, so two huge leaders for the Irish side. But we have the chance to go into a Six Nations Championship to win it, uh, be the first team ever to win it three times. And I think, you know, there should be positivity going out there. You know, we've got, in my mind, the best coach in the world, Joe Schmidt, leading the team. And I think, you know, anything's possible with this Irish team, with him as coach, with, with I suppose, Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton pulling the strings. I think that, yeah, of course, uh, the, uh, you know, there is that negativity. And I think that coming away with a draw, nobody enjoys a draw. But I think the way we started the first couple of minutes to get a 13-point lead, in a way, I kind of think Ireland would maybe be a little bit disappointed with that. Um, let's talk about Conor Murray, because he's really come through as one of the, the group leaders, isn't he? And uh, a group leader does special things when needed, and he scored that try. It was a nice try, too. Well, it's experience. You make the right decisions at the right time. You recognise when guards are moving and they're moving their feet. And that's all you need. You only need a tiny little trigger at nine, and you just see it out the corner of your eye. You pick a hole and you go through. And uh, Look, he's, he's absolutely pivotal to Ireland. They made five line breaks to no line breaks for Wales. So, you know, yeah. you're talking about positivity. We've not seen that from Ireland. You know, Joe Schmidt is a great coach, but... They've not played really extravagant rugby for a number of years. They're not much offloading, really, very, really direct. Good to see them making line breaks. And like you said, I think they could still go on and win it. We thought with the choice of Justin Tuperick in the back row for Wales, they might play a bit more of an expansive game. But it was fairly much bosham up stuff. Opening range, you expect that. But Toby Faletau was outstanding, wasn't he? Yeah, he took a lot of that responsibility on himself, didn't he? His carrying was brilliant. His tackling, superb. I think he made 15, 16 tackles. But the try, I mean, he, he'll probably be a bit disappointed with his, his control. It bobbles out, but boy, does he make up for it. Partly, you think Ireland have been under pressure in the scrum, so the back row are thinking, we've got to give them everything here. The ball bobbles out, and that took some scoring to, to shape the body to get over the line and uh, still be aware of where he had to dot it down. And I, I just thought he had a great game. Um, let's talk uh, Scotland-England now. And, and, and Scotland, they seem to get closer and closer. And after the World Cup, we thought maybe they're there. And that almost replicates what happens on the pitch, Tommy. They get like 80 metres down into the opposition red zone. But the finishing seems to be an issue. Yeah, I, I thought Scotland this, this year would be a team to really watch out for. With, the, with Vern Cotter there, with Glasgow playing the sort of rugby that they are playing. And some of the players, as you say, they have... 
you know, they have some serious finishers within that team. They are getting themselves into the into those vital, you know, into the opposition 22, close to scoring. Uh, and I don't know what it is. I think credit to England. Their defence was spectacular. It was a very professional performance from them to keep them out. Yeah, England, good, solid start from them. Eddie Jones would be delighted. He said he wants to beef up the pack. He wants to play an England style of rugby. That's kind of what they did, has Yeah, I think he's changed his name to Hannibal. He's, he loves it when a plan comes together, and it, <laughs> it, it certainly did. I mean, you know, he got, we got criticised. A lot of people, what are you laughing at? I thought that was not too bad. I was just right off the cuff. I hadn't even written that down. <laughs> so you saw it before you said it? No, no, I didn't wow. even. I just, I just, it came into my head, and then it came out of my mouth, as most things do. But I, I thought England were really good. The, the game plan was excellent. Um, they didn't do anything extravagant. They almost played top-level schoolboy rugby. Hit it up in the midfield. If you get over the gain line, you go again. If you don't, it comes back to Ford and hoof up, it goes in the air. He kicked a lot of ball at the weekend, but it worked for them. Their chase was online. They put pressure on and, uh, and some really good performances. Billy Vunapola, Maku Vunapola played well when he came on. And that was probably the big difference, actually. The bench made a huge impact when it came on. Courtney Laws was very, very good. And uh, I think that really added a bit of an injection because it was an attritional game. And uh, England needed to be picked up in that last quarter. So, this is the headline from the Daily Telegraph. Bullish Jones tells his players to give Italy a good hiding, a good smack, he said. He wants them to go out and play some rugby, so that kick chase isn't going to work, Ben. They're going to have to open up. Is that going to happen? I think there were glimpses, particularly in that outside centre channel, and I, I think that could be where they target Italy, particularly with Joseph drifting off, trying to get um, a bit of separation between uh, the, the Italy defensive line, and, and his feet were so good. We saw, we saw yeah, that opportunity, and that's certainly where they attacked during the game against Scotland yeah, with, with, with the Jack Noltroy. Tonight we are celebrating all the things that are great about Irish, Irish rugby. Tommy yes. Bow is here, of course. But how about that draw with Wales? Do you know, I think we need Brian O'Driscoll for this one. Brian, are you there? I am, I am. Hi. There oh. he is. Hi, Drico. Are you in trouble at home? Are you in the shed again? <laughs> <laughs> I wish my shed looked like this. <laughs> uh, Brian, let's talk about the draw with Wales. What was your, what was your overview of the whole thing? Um, I, I was a little bit pessimistic going into, uh, into the game, and so... If you'd given me a draw beforehand, I probably would have taken it just with the injury list that Ireland had. Uh, and then the way they started the first 20 minutes, I just thought 13 points is going to be too much for Wales. But they showed uh, the quality team that they are. They are able to play themselves back into it with that last 10 minutes uh, in the first half. And in the end, I think a, a draw was probably fair, but Ireland will be the happier of the two to come out of it with a draw. How does it change your view on what Ireland might be able to do in this Six Nations? Uh, it does change it a bit. I think we'll, we'll go over to France. Uh, I, I, I personally would go, see the team going over to France with a bit more confidence. Um, you know, I think we still need a couple of key individuals. I think Johnny Sexton going off at the end, you still need him fit uh, for, for playing over in Stade de France. But at the same time, I'd, I'd be a little bit more optimistic that we can get a result there. And, you know, I, I, we haven't seen a lot of England, obviously, this new, new side uh, that England are putting out. So... I think with another game under our belt, I wouldn't anticipate going to Twickenham. Um, you know, is, a, is a, an absolute no-win situation. So I, I've, I'm a little bit more hopeful than I was at the start of the Six Nations. Uh, Tommy's here with us tonight, Brian, and we're hoping to see him back in action in a few weeks' time after that nasty injury. It'd be good to have him back, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. I think you know we, we need our experienced leaders out in the park, and I think that's where uh, it looked as though we were going to be a little bit light. Um, and you, you need players that are proven try scorers and proven finishers. Uh, I think we didn't get a huge amount of opportunities yesterday. 
And Wales actually were the ones that probably uh, gave up a couple of, of, of better try-scoring opportunities. So, yeah, we, we need to get him back in the park as soon as possible. Although he doesn't need to be going chasing any records, Irish try-scoring records just yet. He'll stay around the, the early 30 mark. I'm a long, long way off for yet, Trico, I think. But we'll see how we go. Uh, yeah, but you're an awful lot younger than him, to be fair. An awful so. lot younger. <laughs> exactly. Um, let's talk about Ulster Rugby. Brian, stay with us for this, because it, it's been a, a, a great season. Now, we should show lots of respect to Connacht, too. We are talking about the uh, Champions Cup rather than the Challenge Cup. I mean, they're the informed team. Uh, from the provinces in the in the Champions Cup this season, no doubt about it. I, th I think we've played some great rugby. We've, but we've been disappointing as well. I think that we had we had opportunities against Saracens. Uh, I suppose we, we lost in that home, which is is something that we would never expect. You know, at, at the Kingspan Stadium in Belfast, any team that comes there, we we expect to get a home a home win. And I think especially in the European Cup, we need to, you need to win your home games. So I think going away to Toulouse, a fantastic result over there. Back-to-back uh, -back results again then, but the first half against Oyanat really was, I suppose, our downfall. The, gr the great thing about the season for Ulster is the way guys have come through. Guys we've watched for a few years now, the likes of Luke Marshall, and he's had a few concussion issues. Great to see him in form. Stu McCluskey, yes. a real bolter as well. But also Paddy Jackson, because we watched him, you know, really struggle at times, and he got a cap early doors when he was very young. Mm -hmm. He looks like he's really growing into the position now, doesn't he? He really is. I think as each year goes on, he's just getting more and more confident. And I think... Yeah, of course, he's had a few knocks. He, he definitely has. Uh, he's been put in and, and, and thrown out almost and then fights his way back in again and, and just gets shut out again. But I think more and more, he's a very resilient guy. He's, he's a great character and he's really learnt, uh, turned into a real leader in Ulster as well. So he's playing some super rugby. He's a great player to play outside of if you're back. You know, the way he's just slinging these passes out in front of the likes of Payne at 15, the wingers, you know, it's really getting them into the game. Uh, let's talk about the Pro 12, if you don't mind, because the Irish province is faring quite well there indeed. Uh, four Irish provinces in the top six of the Pro 12. Brian, what does that tell us about the Pro 12? Because they're not doing so well in, in the European competition, bar Connacht, of course. No, it's been a strange Pro 12. Obviously, the Irish provinces, besides Connacht, uh, have really struggled in Europe. Um, but I think there's definitely probably been a bit more focus uh, put on Pro 12 this year and finishing top four. I think you see from, from, from Leinster's finishing position of fifth last year, the draw that they picked up in Europe was absolutely treacherous. So I think there's definitely a focus of all the, the provinces to make sure that they finish as high as possibly uh, from a seeding point of view and then get a favourable draw in Europe next year, albeit they've no knockout rugby after the Six Nations. And right. Also, oh, yeah. with Connacht there as well, with Connacht going so well, you know the top three Irish teams are going to be playing a top European Cup rugby next year. So it's very important to get to finish as high up in the, the table as we can. So. Two new laws that they're going to be trialling in the Super Rugby this year is you get a bonus point if you are three tries ahead of the opposition. But the one I like the most is if the clock runs out, if it goes over 80 minutes and you get a penalty, you can kick to the corner and take the line out. Now, imagine how good that would have been for Wales all those years back in Rome. Hey, guys. Yeah, I remember that game. I did that game, in fact, uh, for another channel. I remember that. Never before <laughs> so much bad language being broadcast on oh. live television. That Gareth Thomas was absolutely fuming. It's a good rule because everyone knows where they stand with it. And that's yeah, the important thing, I, isn't I it? Think, I think both those rules are pretty encouraging. I think, you know, everybody wants to see... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, everybody wants to see attacking rugby. Everybody wants to see... 
tries and I think that those, those two new rules are really going to encourage attack and add a bit of excitement out there so um, yeah encouraging I'm looking forward to seeing how they go. So much of this a reaction to the final weekend of the Six Nations last year how do we get more tries scored on? Yeah absolutely there's another other laws I'd like to see changed as well I know you hate the mall law that's one for me I'd like to see changed uh, a couple of other kicking situations but more about timing of situations so you get a penalty you kick to a line out you can have a minute before that line-out takes place. I'd like to see referees taking charge of that. More of a directive than a law change. They say, we want the line-out in within 30 seconds. We, we That'll that speed the game that on up. Sunday. We had a couple of resets at the scrums, and literally they were taking two, two and a half minutes to complete a scrum. And the yeah. top, you could just see the clock ticking over. I reckon we lost sort of 10, 15 minutes to scrums, uh, you know, without actually the ball coming out. So that's definitely got to be one. I agree totally. I don't think the answer is necessarily stopping the clock and making it a three-hour game like the NFL. I think the answer is the referees taking charge and, and making sure that they control the tempo of the game and they're not allowing the props that are trying to get all the oxygen back into their lungs so they can scrummage. There's so a few refs though would have to get rid of a few pounds. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a couple of donuts running around out there. <laughs> there's, um, there's another, I don't know if it's a recommendation or whether it's a rule change that's going to happen with the, with the driving line out more. Um, which think, is a really interesting one, but yeah, what's your view I, on I it? I'll explain just, it first of all, sorry. Well, well it's, it's, it's the fact that the, the ball, the t guy who takes it in, the first ball carrier, so particularly from a, from a line-out, can't be, can't be in a row of three, can't be protected too much. So he's actually got to make contact um, with, with, the, um, with the tackler and then, then they form that. I think it's just because it's become so difficult to stop legally. We've seen in the Premiership, you know, Exeter scoring tries after, try after try. And once it's set up, unless you kill it at source, you haven't really got a chance of stopping it. And I think they're trying to say, look, let's give the defensive teams a little bit of a chance to stop it early and then we might reduce the number of every single time going to the corner and trying to score a push out a, a mauling try. We want to see the odd bit of that to pull in defenders and, and create space for more attractive tries outward. What is interesting about it actually, the ball carrier is not allowed to work his way to the back of the mall. Yeah. The ball is allowed to move back, yeah. but he has to stay there. I, th I think it's a really smart recommendation, but the driving mall is, is a brilliant thing. You know, I think we all enjoy it as fans, don't we? It's exciting seeing it creep It's excellent up. to watch, of course it is. And I think that as long as every time we see the ball going into the corner, there's a try, I think that you have to try and mix it up a little bit. I think that the, all these rules are to try and improve the game, to make it a better spectacle, and hopefully it works out well. Good stuff. Um, the battle at the bottom of the table is really intriguing. Three teams in the thick of it. And we've got I think three... four, four teams in the thick of it. Bath have got to be taken into that consideration. They're only five points ahead. It's only one game, it's only one win or one loss. So I think four, I think Bath is seriously in trouble now. And they've got to start thinking about the rest of the season. That's interesting you say that. We presume they're just going to keep moving up, but you're not seeing signs of that. Well, we thought they would. We thought they'd win at home. Gloucester put in a great performance, admittedly won there for the first time in four years. But, you know, they've got to start asking questions. They're not getting wins. They're losing more and more confidence. They've lost a few players to the uh, Six Nations. What's going to happen? And, and once that, it almost uh, becomes a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Once you start to doubt yourself, it builds momentum. And the, the other sides, they're getting momentum. Maybe not Worcester. Maybe Worcester is sliding a little bit. But Newcastle and London Irish certainly are starting to look like they can get wins again and again. I just, I think Bath just can't afford, while the Six Nations is on and a lot of their star players are away, they can't allow teams to pull away from them or, or get, a, get a couple of wins, those teams down there at the bottom with them. I think they'll be OK in the end. I think they've got enough quality there that under pressure they'll be able to pull out the performances. But, but it, it must be worrying times. Right, uh, this is the Ireland team that ran out for the opening Six Nations game. Um, in general, how do you think they fared, Benny? 
Reasonably well. I think the biggest concern is still around this tight head area because the scrum didn't go particularly well. And if you're on the back foot, very difficult uh, to be able to deal with it. We saw um, a Faletaus try because the back row staying down a bit longer than they might have wanted to do. I don't know whether Ross is going to be back fit in time. If he's not, it's probably a little bit early for Furlong. But you know, Ross, if he does come back in, he's not the fittest around the field. And I thought that was an area that Argentina attacked in the World Cup. That when he got caught in defensive positions out wide, they, they went from there. The other big area for me, and we know that Henderson's missing and how much he adds, but Tono had a good game at the weekend, is what happens here when everyone's fit. Because we're thinking that Sean O'Brien might come back at some point. Does he go straight in for O'Donnell and they leave it like that? But then... They've still got Omani to come back when, you know, he's out for the season. But when he does come back, the, if Stander still keeps playing as well as he did this weekend, I thought he was superb. He's probably been the form player and the most consistent player. What do they do then? Because Omani adds so much to the team. Do they take him out of the team? Or for the first time ever, I think, Heaslip, maybe people are questioning, will he lose out to Stander? And it's maybe bringing the best out in Heaslip at the moment. He's starting to play really well. I think the competition is definitely helping Jamie's game. I think that competition for Jamie. I suppose he hasn't had a huge amount, I think, with CJ coming in there. I think Jamie had a super game at the weekend, along with CJ and Tommy. Yeah, 21 tackles from Jamie and Jack McGrath as well. Huge performance from him. I just wonder, though, if Sean comes in, what happens with Tommy? Because you also have... Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Uh, where Ruddock. is he? Where's Ruddock? Yeah. You also have Ruddock, who covers quite a lot of the back row. So, so what happens there on the bench? <laughs> what do you do with that? Don't give this to me. Uh, <laughs> well, listen, I, I think Tommy O'Donnell had a super game. I think uh, coming in there with Sean O'Brien getting injured earlier in the week, uh, Tommy O'Donnell came in and had a super game, like I say. But if Sean O'Brien does come straight into the team, you want to have a back row probably on the bench who can cover all three positions, and Reese Ruddock is your man for that. Uh, well, I, I mean, I'm glad I'm not going to be making that decision. I'm not going to get nice well, not all it anywhere. I'm gone. It's great to see Tommy back because his injury was horrendous, wasn't it? He in the picked games. up a tear. I think he dislocated his hip in one of the warm-up games to the World Cup. A desperate injury, uh, but incredible how he's come back. He's played some great stuff since coming back for for Munster. He hasn't had a whole pile of game time, but. You know, the, his, his game at the weekend was uh, right up there. You could argue Devon Toner came of age in the weekend, but it is an area where Ireland are a bit light at the moment in terms of players because obviously guys left and, and guys who are injured at the moment. Donica Ryan on the bench, of course, and Ruddick probably covers that position as well. How about guys coming through? Who's there? So there, was, there was a lot of talk about, about Ireland's pack and the injuries that we had, and I think that that is the area that they stood up to Wales. I think the back line is, is you know, there's not many changes there. Obviously, we lost Kearney during the week as well, but in the front five, I think McCarthy, Devon Toner and the, the front three really stood up to Wales and, and got us that go forward in the first 20 minutes. Yeah, Alton Delaney, young guy who's coming through, and Ross Maloney as well. But how about the backs, Oz? What's your take well, on look at Murray is, is always going to be there at the minute. He's playing particularly well. Aaron Redding they've got in the background as well. Sexton is always going to be first choice, but can he physically stand up to the way he's playing? He's getting, he's putting his head in positions that most props don't put their head. <laughs> so let's say he doesn't last the rest of the Six Nations. I'd be amazed if he does. Let's hope he does for his own safety. But what happens then? You have to think that maybe Jackson leapfrogs Madigan. Madigan more of a sort of guy that can cover the bench, more utility, sits on the bench. I think Jackson maybe steps in there and maybe fills that role. Uh, but, you know, we're going to see Sexton this weekend, hopefully. It's interesting, actually. Okay. Joe Schmidt does seem to have a certain fondness for, for Ian Madigan, although he's off to France. And Paddy Jackson, outstanding for Ulster. Does that surprise you? He's yeah, not... I think different types of players. A bit more control, a little bit more flair. And they'll probably watching that at home thinking, hold on a sec, that's the other way around. But that, <laughs> that's what I think. Then you get into the midfield and it's pretty strong. And going to France 
France this weekend, you're going to have to be strong in the midfield. But also, you've got to think of the balance in the back three. Zebo had quite a good game last week, um, but he did run a lot of ball. And maybe you want to go to France and think, do you know what? We're actually not going to run that much ball because they're very strong at the breakdown. So maybe you move Payne back there, you take Zebo off, maybe put him on one of the wings, who knows, and then bring this guy into the midfield. Yeah. Well... One of the concerns, obviously, at the weekend is Keith Earls. I think he had a bit of a concussion, so he might be someone who might be struggling. I'm not too sure. Potentially, Zebo could go on to that left wing. For me, you have Rob Carney, who should be back from injury as well. I think with the experience that Rob Carney has coming back into a match, going over to Paris, you know, yeah. you want your most experienced men. I thought Henshaw and Payne worked very well together uh, at the weekend. And if Carney is fit, I would imagine he could come in, depending then obviously what happens with, Zer uh, with Keith Earls. But for me, I would say it will probably be a Sexton, Henshaw and Payne midfield. And it but looks like Keith Earls, it was, if it was a concussion, you know, he's probably not going to play. Does this look like the Ireland back line for France to you? Again, it's, it's so much depends. It's so early in the week. Keith Earls, it depends. You know, he, I think they said he has had a concussion, but we don't know how tough it was. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. And McCluskey in the mix as well. Hopefully we'll <laughs> yeah. see him at some stage. Yeah, it's great to have it. all these guys coming Never through. Never seen you so excited. That's what you're talking about. <laughs> at last, at last. Oh, um, <laughs> a big old weekend coming up, of course, another Six Nations weekend. Uh, this is who is playing who. France have got Ireland, Wales have got Scotland on Sunday then. It's Italy against Italy. England. Uh, let's just quickly start on France-Ireland. How do you see it going? It's going to be a brilliant match. Obviously, a six-day turnaround for Ireland is going to be difficult going over there. But given the, the history that we had against France in the last couple of years, and I suppose the performance of the weekend, I think that we'll be going over there full of confidence. Denny, Wales. I think Wales at home have to fancy it, particularly with the style of their performance against Ireland, the fact that they, they won the upfront battle in terms of the scrum. I think that will be the foundation for them and at home with that crowd behind them back then. Italy, England, does. It's going to pay me to say it, but England are the only side Italy haven't beaten in the Six Nations. And if ever they fancy their chances, it is this weekend. It's a new side, they're, they're getting better and better drilled England, but Italy showed some real glimpses against a good French team in Paris that they can play attacking rugby, they can play defensive rugby, but can they just finish England off? That is the big question, and that's where England stand up. That is a huge call. Don't forget, while the Six Nations is on, so is the Aviva Premiership. Newcastle Falcons against the Leicester Tigers. That's our live game on Friday night, 7 o'clock, we're on air, 7.45 kickoff. No games on BT Sport on Saturday. On Sunday, though, we will bring you Saracens against Wasps, 3.45, BT Sport 1 HD. And we're going to leave you with a little bit of a fiddle from all of us here. Good night. <laughs> the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 